time of worship. Can you say amen? All right, I'm glad to be here. I, I decided to come to church today. I was going to stay home. I'm like, you know what? I should probably come because I like church. So I love to gather with the saints. You know, there's a difference between a gathering and an assembly. When we gather together, you know, we can sing songs and do our thing. But when we come together in the manifest presence, we become assembled for purpose. This is what the scripture talks about being fitly framed together. I'd love to do a whole series on this because I think sometimes some of our church gatherings are just a bunch of parts coming together, but we're never assembled in relationship and in love and in harmony where our lives and hearts are actually joined to empower one another for what we are created for in the body of Christ and in the earth. Amen. That's a good word, Pastor. Praise God. Man, you guys are already starting out really excited. I, I think you need to calm down just a little bit, please. <laughs> Too much for me, guys. Uh, if, open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading. Uh, last week, we talked about the concept of spiritual hunger. And I think we have to really think about our language when we talk about this stuff. I really encourage you to listen to the message, uh, hunger and a spiritual appetite has become a method to conjure up, you know, some sort of love for God and, and, and it becomes a works, it becomes a performance. And I think we need to be careful and really look at how we, uh, how we use those, those phrases because Jesus said, listen, if you come to me, you're not going to be hungry or thirsty anymore. It's interesting, like we read that verse, but yet we have an entire message on revival that says, if you hunger for God enough, then revival will come. But I don't see in the language of Paul, uh, especially after the cross, anything in the New Testament that says you need to be hung more hungry for God. It doesn't say that. And so it's more about feasting on God. So I encourage you, I know it challenged some of you, which is good. By the way, I love to kick down sacred cows and I will never apologize for that. Come on. And some of you know me real well, right? You just know, it's who I am. And, and so I, let me just throw this one at you. And here's, this has nothing to do with the message, but here's the reason why. Here's an example of a sacred cow. Spiritual warfare has become an idol in the church. And you can't walk in victory if you're in idolatry. So why do I like kicking down sacred cows? Because they're idols. And so we have thought systems and beliefs and things that we say and do, and they're really not biblical and they're not new covenant and they're not for the Christian, you know? And we have all these mechanisms and formulas that, that empower our striving. And we like to hold on to them because what we're really holding on to is religion and self-righteousness and performance, but it's time to let all that stuff go. And so, man, I just love reading the words of Jesus. He said, if you come to me, you're not going to be hungry again. So why, I'm so hungry for God, like this desperate plea, almost like a heart of an orphan that never gets fed. When the Bible says if we come to Jesus, we're not going to be hungry anymore. Now, I have an appetite for intimacy and the love of God, and, and I enjoy God. I feast on God. But we got to be careful with the words that we use in the way that we talk about being hungry, because some things we have inherited in their traditions of men. You know, I, I left, uh, or I gave this example for service. We have this idea that fasting 
will somehow like please God more or get God's attention or gain us more favor or even this gain more authority in the spirit if we fast. And it comes from a couple places in the gospel, that thought process. It says the disciples are trying to cast out demons and they couldn't do it. And they came back to Jesus and he's like, these only come out by prayer and fasting. How many have ever read that in the gospels? Do you know the phrase and fasting is not in the original language? It was added and it's only in certain versions. Because we, we still hold on to these things, these works that we have. And I want to tell you that fasting doesn't increase authority on your life. Fasting can clear your ears and help position yourself to hear. In the New Testament, they fasted and prayed when they wanted to just clear their heads a little bit. But fasting shouldn't be this religious thing where if I fast and pray, then revival will come. That is not a biblical view in the New Testament. And so when Jesus said, these only come up by prayer and fasting, and fasting is not there. So what was he saying? These only come up by prayer. He's saying, I pray, you don't. I'm aligned to the kingdom authority and you're not. When you are submitted to authority, you walk in authority. So if we're not walking in authority, well, maybe we just need to align our hearts to the reign of the kingdom of God on the earth. And so those are just, uh, that's just a little appetizer before we jump into the word. Come on, somebody. So if we're hungry for God, maybe we should stop fasting and start feasting. That's a good word right there. And I want to kind of springboard off of last week's message, and I want to talk about the story of uh, Mary and Martha, beautiful story in the Gospels. We're going to uh, dive into this text in Luke chapter 10. Let's read it together. Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. Are you all ready? As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha received her into his home or opened her home to him. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, so she came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus says, Martha, 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 Martha. I, I know he didn't say it that many times, but you know when the Lord says your name two times, like, you better listen. You ever been there before? Zach, 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 Zach. Yes, Lord. The Lord said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. Would you... Let's pray together real quick, and then we're going to go for it. Lord, thank you so much for your presence in this house. We are a house of presence. Everything springs from the oasis of your manifest presence, Lord. Our priority, the the primary purpose of the gathering, of the assembly of the church, is the manifest presence. We are a dwelling place for God in the spirit, not just individually, but corporately. So, Lord, thank you for your presence. And we come right now, and we open up, we open up our hearts. Thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I just pray that everyone in the room would get saved. Amen. All right. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Come on, somebody. I'm I'm just messing with you guys. I meant all the words of the prayer except, and if you're not saved, I do pray you get saved, but I was just being condescending. Sometimes are you, you guys ever just get satisfied from being condescending? You know, in a joking way, 
It, I don't know why. It's just fun. Maybe I'm the one that needs to get saved. <laughs> Pray for me. So I, I look at this story, and honestly, it could be titled Hell's Kitchen or Kitchen Nightmares. Who's ever seen the show with Chef Ramsay? Come on, you love that show? I, when I, I, I don't watch the show that much. Sometimes my family does, and they're all into it. I love cooking, though. I love, like, you know, Top Chef and some of these shows. It's inspiring to me. Um, but I, I don't know about you, but if I was in Martha's shoes, I mean, that would, that's no pressure at all. You're only cooking for God in the flesh and his disciples. And we don't know how many people were there. Some people believe it was just dozens and dozens because it could have been up to 70. What if the whole 70 were, you know, all up in the crib and outside and Martha's like, man, we got to cook for all these people. Now, I don't know about you. I love to cook, but I don't think I would ever cook for Chef Ramsay. Who's with me? Because you know... He's not going to like it. I mean, you know, rarely does he compliment someone's cooking, especially if it's a rookie. And I think I can throw down in the kitchen. How many of you can throw down in the kitchen? Come on, somebody. Okay, hold on. Keep your hands up. Let me take a picture. So I'll make sure to text you this week. Say, hey, let's eat, yo. <laughs> Unless you're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. <laughs> which is possible. But how many know that like, even if you have confidence in the kitchen, you throw down a fat meal and then someone like Ramsey eats it. If he tells you that your food is junk, your confidence in the kitchen is done for a lifetime, right? I don't think I'm ever cooking for him. So I'm looking at this story and I'm thinking about uh, the, the, the concept of, you know, lo looking at Martha's life, she's, she's distracted, she's worried, she's anxious. And man, I had the opportunity to just dig really deep into the text and read a lot of commentaries. And that's what I love to do. I love to glean from different scholars and look at the historical context. And, uh, and so we're going to dive in that today. Uh, and I, I'll say this though, you know, one of my number one rules in the kitchen is if you are not my sous chef, get out of the kitchen. Come on, somebody. Would you look at the person next to you and say, get out of the kitchen? I, I think Martha, like, Martha was so caught up in, in, in making something for Jesus. And, it, and it's kind of the type of like, our, is our discipleship founded on, on us trying to make God happy? Is our journey, our ministry, what we feel like we're created, is it trying to please God or somehow trying to, you know, oh God, I just want to be pleasing to you. A few weeks ago, we looked at how the ministry of Jesus didn't even start yet. And the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You see, the ministry of Jesus is so much different than a lot of our ministries today. His ministry started that he was pleasing to God. A lot of our ministries strive to please God and try to cook something up for him when they should start with the reality that we are pleasing to God as his sons and as his daughters. Can you say amen? amen. If you're a son and a daughter, come on, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, that was horrible, man. Wow. We really need to pray for you guys. Praise God. Man, what is this concept, though, of, 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 you know, we're in the kitchen and we're stuck in this whirlwind of trying to, you know, make Jesus the right meal. We want to we host well. We get so distracted with trying to do it just right that we miss out on the main thing. 
And you've heard it said, keep the main thing the main thing. And sometimes we don't even know what the main thing is. And, and there's almost like this fear, this anxiety that grips Martha, but her sister chooses to sit at the table with the rest of the disciples, which we're going to look at in a minute. Culturally, that wasn't something that was common for a woman to sit with the men as the rabbi was teaching. It says she sat at his feet. It was a posturing of humility and, and being taught and, uh, uh, from a disciple uh, to, a, to a teacher. You know, last week we looked at uh, how Jesus, before he fed the 5,000, says he directed the people to sit down on the grass. I want to talk about a couple of things I see in the story. The first thing I want to talk about is posture. Would you say out loud, posture? posture. This is a big deal to me. And I, I, I uh, you know, we're all kind of on a journey and, and we, learn, we learn things. And, and sometimes we don't realize how influenced we are by culture. Culture, let me just simplify. It's just... It's just how we roll. Uh, it's, it's a way of life. And so sometimes we're in a particular church community and the way people pray rubs off on you. How many know that? The way people encounter God kind of rubs off on you. And, and we imitate each other sometimes and it's, it's just mimetic. It's just, it's how, it's how we are as human beings. And sometimes it's unavoidable. It happens whether we like it or not. Like you ever hang out with somebody, you start laughing like them. Have you ever done that? One of my wife's friends years ago, they used to hang out. And then my wife started laughing. I'm like, that ain't even your laugh. Why are you laughing like your friend, man? It just rubs off on you. And it's unintentional. And so sometimes we're, we're in cultures where maybe, maybe in our culture, like not this church culture, but just in general, the way that we've learned or the way we're brought up in, in spiritual things, in discipleship, we don't know how to posture ourselves in this place of receiving. Would you say receive? receive. Now, one thing I noticed, uh, and I, I love this, I love, I love praying for people, right? Like, and sometimes I don't like praying for people. And, and here's why. Let me just say this. Can I be honest with you this morning? When you have energy to pray for yourself, then you need to pray for yourself. Sometimes a pity party is a spirit of manipulation drawing energy from someone else when you got your own energy. And sometimes God wants you to rise up, rise up. Now I ask for prayer when I need prayer. Sometimes I don't ask for prayer because of ego or pride. And I'm the pastor. I don't need prayer. I encourage myself in the Lord. You know, we got those songs that we put on and, and it just encourage, and that's good. And everyone should know how to encourage themselves in the Lord. And I love praying for people, but, but sometimes someone will ask me for prayer and then they just shut their hearts down and their whole posture is not one to receive, but just they shut down. Have you ever uh, been praying for someone and you felt like they just weren't receiving at all? Have you ever felt that way? And there's like just this posture. Now I've learned some cultures are really, really, really good at teaching people how to receive. One of them is Bethel Church in Reading. You might not agree with all their stuff, but uh, the, it's one of the most powerful movements in the earth. And, and one thing that I notice, I like, I like seeing healthy patterns. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I want that. Like, I, I want to glean from that. We need to learn. That. I need that. And when you honor something that's honorable, that, that is, that, that's a grace from heaven, you receive that grace from heaven. 
When you dishonor something, even if whether you agree with it or not, it's something that you need. Maybe it's somebody in your life, they bug you, but you know you need what they have. Don't envy them. Don't get bitter what they have. Rejoice in their breakthrough. Honor them because you'll receive the reward of the grace that flows from their life. This is a big deal because when we dishonor, it cuts us off from that flow of grace that we receive from one another. It's powerful, profound. I could preach a whole message on it. But I've learned that, that, you know, like Bethel students, some of them, they're a little crazy. Come on, somebody. But they're amazing, and we love them. We've had them come and be a part of our conference, our prayer team. And they'll, they'll give you like a million prophetic words. They're prophesying machines. And they'll go out. If you go out to like, you know, the district or you go out to the mall, they're going to pray for like 27 people wherever they go. I mean, they're, you know, if they, they look for people with crutches, like, oh, 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 go oh, get, get them, get them. You know, and it's like, it's just who they are, man. They love demonstrating the kingdom and, and releasing the love of the Father. Here's what I noticed, though, about Bethel students. I remember we had these students that came, and they were such a blessing, man. And, and uh, it was a total God thing. This guy just emailed me, and he's like, hey, we're coming to town if we can serve you in any way. I'm like, yeah, let's hang out. Do you need a place to stay? Come on over, you know, and we put them up and some church members put them up and, uh, and ourselves. And so we're hanging out. And then at the very end, they're pouring into us at the very end. They're like, hey, Pastor Zach, like we want what you have. Can you lay hands on us? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sure, man. So here's what I noticed. And they all do this. When, it, when they receive prayer, they immediately posture to a place of receiving Hands open like they're receiving something, like receiving a gift. We need to learn how to posture. We need to, we, the art of listening has been lost. I remember growing up uh, in, in my faith, I was 17. First few years, I was this super zealous, crazy kid. You know, I'm praying for people. I'm like, I want to raise the dead. And, and so I started with some girl in my high school, broke her toe. So I laid hands on her toe in class and the pain left and she's banging it up against the desk. And I'm like, it worked, oh, man. And I'm crazy, zeal without knowledge, if you want to put it that way. Or, you know, I'm, I'm like quoting scripture. And, and I remember this lady, I'm growing, I'm learning things. And this lady who's like a mama, lovingly, I'm a disciple, right? I'm learning, I'm growing. She lovingly corrected me. By the way, if you're not teachable and correctable, you're not a disciple. She said, you know, you talk a lot, Zach. Uh, okay, well, what do you mean? Are you saying that? No, shh, you know, I don't know how I responded at that moment. She, she looked at me, she said, you know, the Bible says be slow to speak and quick to listen. And that altered, that positioned my heart in a different, I learned to posture myself. And I, I spent, hear me, three to four years learning how to listen. You know, to this day, I know people that have been in the church for decades and they still don't know how to listen. People still getting high on their own fumes. We always got something spiritual to say because we don't know how significant we are. So we got to prove ourselves somehow. We're in the kitchen cooking something up. We got a recipe, a formula. We got to do something. We got to serve God. We got to serve God. I got to love God, please God. And we have all these things that we do, 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 do. And it's just do, do. And we need to get out of this doing mentality. It must, doing must precede being. 
We must start with being, just being a son, being loved by God. Everything flows from that. And I, I spent three to four years listening, and here's how God did it. I went to a Bible study, and I would go every Monday and every Friday. It started at seven. It ended at nine if it was timely. Some nights we would go till 12, till one, till two in the morning, no joke, and it was legit. It was Holy Ghost teaching. It was, and I would literally sit and I would listen. When I first went, I always had something to say. Teacher, 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 you know? Well, doesn't the Bible also say this? Blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm like 18 years old. What the heck do I know? I wasn't even raised in the, I was raised Catholic, went to church Christmas and Easter. All of a sudden I know a few scriptures and I'm like this, you know, concordance. Give me a break. A little egotistical teenager. And, and God taught me, I could say it was enforced humility, but it, he taught me to listen. And, and the art of listening and posturing ourselves to listen has been kind of a lost art in the church. I, miss, I honestly, can I just keep it real with you? I miss the culture. I grew up in the Lord, after I got saved when I was 17, in a culture where you take notes, everyone takes notes. It was like a word of faith church, man. If you, you know, and, you, and you took notes. And it doesn't mean you're not spiritual if you don't take notes. And every time, last service, people put up all their notepads in there, right when I said that, and their, people take notes in their phone. But I miss the art of like, man, we are here to grow. We are here to learn. We are here to discover the depths of God's love. And so I'm, I'm posturing myself. We need to learn how to posture and listen. Posture ourselves towards one another in love. Posture ourselves at our, at our leaders in honor. Like sometimes we don't feel like the worship is good because we dishonor the worship leaders. Or, or we feel like, well, the preaching's just not the same. That's because your heart is turned away. But if we come under and we, just like sitting at the feet of Jesus, we posture, we listen, we learn, we come to a place where we drink, where we take in, and we discover that there's life there. We discover that, that Martha is... And, and I don't think Jesus is harsh with her in the text. I think, matter of fact, if you read the commentaries, a lot of the scholars will say in the language, it's like a tender rebuke. Jesus isn't saying like, Martha, Martha, how dare you? You know, he was like, Martha, Martha, like you don't have to be distracted with all of that religiosity and those recipes and don't worry about waiting on us. Would you let me wait on you? Let, let me... Let me give you some words of life. Come sit at the table. It's like he's saying, your sister has chosen the main course and, and you're trying to cook up this seven course meal. I mean, Mary just skipped to the main course. Have you ever been at a restaurant and you're like, enough appetizers, bring out the main course. Come on, let's jump right to the filet mignon. Glory. Man, the Holy Ghost came on me just now when I said that. It was spiritual, of course, but come on, like this, I want them, and you know what the main course is? It's the bread of his presence. It's the love of God. It's the love of God. You see, here's the thing. In verse 38, uh, you know, Martha received Jesus. Come on, let's receive Jesus. Glory to God. You better receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, how many believe that? How many believe that? It's not a trick question. But the problem is, is that we're so busy trying to receive Jesus, we don't realize that he's received us. And the reason that he's received us is the reason that we can receive him. 
Mary said, yeah, I'm opening my heart to Jesus, but he's opened his heart to me, so I'm going to sit at the table. It took a lot of courage for a woman to sit at the table with a bunch of men disciples in this culture. She wasn't afraid of the outcome. She said, I'm going to sit because it's it's worth it all. I don't care how they look at me after this. I am going to sit at the master's table. Come on, there was something about her posturing herself in a place and not being afraid to just hear the words of Jesus. The gospel isn't just about you receiving Jesus. It's first and primarily about Jesus receiving you into his life. Well, you got to receive Jesus in your heart. No, he received you into his heart. That's why you can receive him into his heart, into your heart. I'm confused now. Jesus, help me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, Wait a minute, we, oh, I gotta love God. If I could just love God more, then everything would be right in my life. Have you ever been there? Yes. Let's take a few steps back, put our recipe books aside, our agenda to conjure something up for the Lord when he never wanted that. He said, you're, you're anxious, you're perplexed, Martha. Martha, Martha, you're perplexed. Step out of the kitchen If we step back and we come and we sit at the table and we realize that that's where we belong. belong, And maybe if Martha sat at the table, I'm I'm not saying that her serving was wrong. Like we should all have servant hearts. And a lot of times Martha gets a bad rap. I give her a bad rap. And, and it's not so much that her hospitality was wrong. It's not so much that what she was doing was wrong. That even maybe her motivation, I don't know. But the, the issue is this, is that it wasn't time to be busy in the kitchen. It was time to sit at the table and feast. Sometimes I feel like we, uh, you're probably going to be up here for like 10 minutes if you start now. I'm just letting you know. Sometimes... Nine minutes, give it nine minutes. You're good, bro. Uh, sometimes I feel like we, we're so busy serving that we forget what it's all about. Trying to love God. Oh, I gotta love and serve God. What we don't realize is that when we posture ourselves to just being loved, that's when we're overflowing with fiery zeal. Oh, I just got to be on fire for God. I'll just let him love you with, because there's nothing like his, just be loved. I'm telling you, you, we'll never get enough of this. You are beloved. So just be loved. And you couldn't even begin to fathom in your minds how much God loves you. I mean, we, all of us in this room, anytime we just get a drop, just a drop of the revelation of the love of God, we're on the ground. It's nothing. Just a drop. That's just a drop. Imagine a bucket. Imagine a barrel. Imagine a swimming pool. Imagine an ocean. Imagine a river of his love. There's so much more of his love to discover. And Mary chose the greater portion. We get so caught up in doing. You ever done this when you have people over and you're trying to host and you never sit down and eat and enjoy the company? I remember my my grandma used to do it. My grandpa would get so mad. He'd say, Helen, sit down. (laughs) 
because he wanted everyone to sit at the table. Tables were, that's where it happens, man, heart to heart. Defenses come down. We've lost the art of listening, posturing. We've lost the art of real connection too and real connection with the Lord. He wants intimacy with you. Sometimes I think when we're busy praying and, oh God, and we're just doing our charismatic stuff, you know, going through our recipe books, our formulas. It's not about formulas, it's about faith, trust, rest. It's never about formulas. Sometimes we go back to the old covenant and we think, well, if we could just rebuild a golden menorah and an ark, then maybe the Lord would really give us revival. That's not gonna work, you're the ark now. How about we get a revelation of that and then watch what happens. We're so busy trying to host and serve that we never enjoy the company. We, we miss the, the main thing, which is this. Here, can I just say this? You can dim the light, son. The main thing is the manifest presence. The main thing is coming to his presence and receiving his love. I want to read to you in closing some profound stuff out of this book that I highly recommend to you. It's called Jesus and the Undoing of Adam. He's one of my favorite theologians. He studied uh, in Scotland under a very brilliant uh, a couple of theologians, uh, the Torrance brothers, and one of them being T.F. Torrance, well known in, in almost any sphere or any stream in the body of Christ from reformed theology to Eastern Orthodoxy. And so this guy, um, he, he wrote a book on why God became flesh, why Jesus died. See, a lot of times we think Jesus died because he wanted to save us from his dad. <laughs> like his dad had to, because God's holy and just, and there's this scale of justice and, and, and we committed sin against him. So God had to pour his wrath out on Jesus. Do you know that whole concept wasn't even something the church believed until 500 years ago and the church has been around 2000 years. It wasn't even a concept of that whole justice satisfaction, not even until the 11th century by one guy named Saint, Saint Anselm. And he wrote something about atonement Atonement is how we see the cross. And he was actually, when he finished it, was on the battlefield of a crusade when he finished it, ironically. This was after the Eastern and the Western church separated. Now this is really important church history stuff. What happened is we, we, we've, we've missed some of the fundamental orthodox historical understanding of what the gospel really is. And this book helps with that. I highly recommend it. Um, he's gonna be here in September. Uh, this book will help you unpack why Jesus died and what happened uh, at the cross and undo some of the sacred cows, kick down rather some of the sacred cows. Come on, somebody, because we, we're not healthy with idols. So let's kick those things down. Why did Adam and Eve hide in the presence of the Lord? Let me just read this to you. This is powerful. Are you all enjoying this this morning? Okay, you're gonna really enjoy this. Hopefully, just posture yourselves to listen. Okay. For the presence of the Lord, 
meant the presence of love and joy and fullness of God, which immediately and irrefutably exposed their own bankruptcy. This is why Adam and Eve hid. It exposed their perversion, their nothingness and misery. And the pain, the burden of such exposure was unbearable. So they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And we've been hiding ever since. Sometimes we hide in the kitchen cooking for Jesus. Come on. But even here, we have not come to the core problem of the fall of Adam. The unbearable agony of such an exposure is one thing. It is quite another when the pain colors the way we see God. Hear that. The, the pain colors the way that we see God. Adam's pain inevitably altered his understanding and the way he saw himself, his world, and others. But most importantly, it altered the way he saw God. Adam projected his own brokenness, as it were, onto God's face. Maybe, maybe Martha was afraid to be rejected as a disciple. Some scholars think she was a widow. Maybe she was clinging onto the brokenness of her past. This domestic thing of I have to serve and please. And, and Mary said, what if I just sat at the table with everybody else? And she was drawn to the presence of love and acceptance. It says, Adam tarred God's face with the brush of his own angst, which terrorized him even further and doomed him into deeper and deeper misinterpretation of the very heart of God. That's what happens when we caught up in religiosity and serving. It just pulls us further and further away metaphorically from the heart of God. And we're not separated from him. Separation's a lie. Even the Bible says you are enemies of God in your minds. And just because you are an enemy of God doesn't mean that he set himself against you. Actually, it's the opposite. You set yourself against him. We set ourselves against God. God's always been pursuing us and chasing us down with his love. Oh man, the book closed. Now I got to open it back up again. Listen to this, okay? This is so powerful. He turned, he tarred God's face with the brush of his own angst, which terrorized him even further and doomed him deeper and deeper uh, misinterpretation of the very heart of God. God did not change. God remained the same as always. He's still sitting at the table waiting for us to come. There's a place for us at the table. He's faithful. He's determined to bless right and true, overflowing in love and fellowship. God hasn't changed. He's just overflowing in fellowship as Father, Son, and Spirit. But Adam had changed. And now he projected his pain, his anxiety onto God, thereby creating a mythological deity, a legendary God, or if I could add, the God of archaic religion. That's why he was hiding with his wife in the bushes. Standing before this mythological God, this projection, Adam could feel only the most dreadful fear for he believed himself to be standing before a God who's a hair's breadth away from anger, judgment, and utter rejection. Let me close with this. From this moment forward, the truth about God will be veiled. This is the fall of man. This is what Jesus came to undo. His face will be continually tarred with the wrong brush. His heart will be misunderstood. His, his every word and act intention and intention will be translated through the wrong headedness of human anxiety and projection. 
The very presence of God in love and in grace and in fellowship will be translated through the fallen mind as the presence of one whose love is arbitrary and hinges on conditions, whose blessing comes with strings attached if it comes at all, and whose character is chiefly that of a judge. Wow. But when we come and we sit at the table, everything changes. When we have the courage to just rest and trust and sit and be in the presence of Jesus and have the courage to say, I'm not gonna get caught up in my charismatic Gnostic formulas and how I encountered God in the past, but I'm just gonna come. I'm gonna posture my heart to listen and to be in the presence of the one who's never gonna reject me. The incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ proved that he would never reject you. The Bible says he didn't just die for our sins, 1 John 2, 2, but he died for the sins of the whole cosmos. That's all of humanity. You wanna talk about inclusion. Nobody is not included in this thing. Everyone is included at the Father's table. Can you say amen? I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray right now that the radical love of God and the reality that you are so stinking significant and loved by him permeates your soul and mind and you are baptized in that love and anxiety and fear and religiosity and the busyness and the worries and the things that we get caught up again would just break and we would proverbially step out of the kitchen and sit at the table with Jesus and be disciples, be learners, be a friend, an intimate friend of Jesus before a servant. God wants intimacy with you. Would you come to the table? Would you just feast on his love and his presence? Lift your hands with me, would you? Father, thank you for your manifest presence. The wine of your love and your presence. Healing and setting the captive free. Lord, break chains. In the name of Jesus, I pray.